times change, but there's always one place the whole world thinks of for sunshine. Florida. I've always been fascinated by ghost towns. The idea of an entire town being abandoned or forgotten just feels so somber and haunting to me. I mean, think about it. Think about the place you grew up. Not just your house, but your town, your neighborhood, all of your surroundings. The place you went to school, the place you made friends, fell in love for the first time, raised a family. All the memories and connections made in that place. And it's all just gone. People in the future passing by completely unaware of what once was there. No idea of the emotional weight those abandoned buildings or now empty fields once held. I think it fascinates me because it's just a reminder of how temporary this all is. Nothing is permanent. Everything becomes a ghost town on a long enough timeline. If you look hard enough, you can find stories of a town that used to exist right here on the northeast shore of Lake Okeechobee. A true ghost town. There's so little left, you wouldn't even know you were passing by it. But over a hundred years ago, it was a completely different story. Ten miles southeast of the city of Okeechobee, there was a town called Utopia. Children attended school. Workers stopped at the general store to buy some supplies before heading off to earn money in the booming commercial fishing industry that was just starting to grow on Lake Okeechobee. Letters were sent out from the post office by locals telling people about the little piece of utopia they found in South Florida. Until one day, it all stopped. The school was abandoned. Those houses that once held families set empty. Buildings fell apart. Nature overtook everything. And eventually, the name Utopia faded away from memory. Just another empty field that people passed by. So what happened? To find out, we have to go back to the beginning. Back to the man who founded it and built his dream of utopia on the shores of Lake Okeechobee. Until that dream came to a catastrophic end. Utopia was founded by a man named Clifford Clements in 1897. It started out as little more than a hunting retreat for Clements. He found the marshes and pinewood forests near the lake were a hunter's paradise. But what started as a hunter's retreat started growing into something more. The commercial fishing industry was beginning to take off on the lake, and soon fishermen were coming to the area to settle down and make a living. Clements married a woman named Adeline Rollerson. 
whose family had just created their own community 10 miles away from Utopia. Rollerson's pioneer family had settled a community near Taylor Creek called Tanty. Tanty would go on to become the city of Okeechobee. A railroad was built that could connect the lake to the areas on the coast. Ice houses and loading docks were built for Lake Okeechobee fishermen. Refrigerated rail cars transported their catches to northern markets. Clements opened a two-story general store to serve the growing community. In 1912, the Palm Beach County School Board authorized the construction of a schoolhouse for Utopia. Clements took on the role of headmaster at the school and took on the responsibilities of postmaster for the Utopia Post Office. The town was truly his own singular creation. Clements not only founded it, but he completely guided it through the years, taking on multiple roles as the town began to grow. He doesn't know it yet, but there's a cataclysm headed for his small town. And it'll not only change the course of history for Utopia, but it will radically alter the entire Lake Okeechobee region. It's September 1928, and over the radio, reports come in of a storm battering Puerto Rico. Already, over 200 people were dead. Thousands more were homeless. Pretty horrifying to hear. But the good news was that the storm was expected to turn and miss Florida altogether. Except... It didn't. On the evening of September 16th, 1928, a Category 4 hurricane came tearing across South Florida. Its path carried it directly across Lake Okeechobee. A relentless rain began pouring down on the people and towns around Lake Okeechobee. Survivors described the rain as solid sheets of water. Like a wall of water just continuously pouring down. It was only a few weeks earlier that heavy rainfall had raised the lake by three feet. The hurricane brought even more water into the lake. 145 mile per hour winds ripped apart everything in its path. And as the storm crossed directly over the area, the wind pushed all of the water out of the lake. It caused a huge storm surge that breached the small makeshift dirt levees and dikes that had been built to protect locals. In the dark of night, the lake came flooding into whatever homes weren't already destroyed by the wind. 
For hours and hours, the water swept across towns near the lake, taking buildings and houses off their foundations, dashing them into pieces. And the water swept people, both dead and alive, miles away from their homes, deep into the Everglades. Put yourself in those people's shoes for one second. Imagine what they went through. It's the middle of the night, pitch black outside. You can't see anything. And suddenly, this wall of water comes pouring into your house in a massive surge. Maybe you could climb onto the roof with your family. But soon, water pushed the entire house off its foundation. And you can only watch as your family members struggle to keep their heads above water, desperately holding on to whatever they could to stop the current from taking them to God knows where. There are stories of people clinging to treetops. One woman was able to survive by tying herself to a telephone pole. And even if you made it onto your roof and your house stood strong, you still weren't safe. In a book called Natural Disasters by Lee Allen Davis, it's said that multiple people who were able to climb onto their roof were crushed and killed by falling trees. And there are stories of others on roofs who were killed after being bitten by snakes that emerged out of the dark, rising water. In her novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, Zora Neale Hurston wrote about the 1928 hurricane. In it, she imagines the hurricane descending on the Everglades as a kind of cosmic monster, rolling over the human beings around the lake like a vengeful god. This is a quote from that book. Ten feet higher, and far as they could see, the muttering wall advanced before the braced-up waters like a road crusher on a cosmic scale. The monstropolis beast had left his bed, 200 miles an hour wind had loosened his chains. He seized hold of the dikes and ran forward until he met the quarters. Uprooted them like grass and rushed on after his supposed to be conquerors. Rolling the dikes, rolling the houses, rolling the people in the houses along with other timbers. The sea was walking the earth with a heavy heel. After the storm passed, dawn came and the morning light exposed the horrors that laid in the hurricane's wake. At least 2,500 people drowned, most of whom were black farm workers living south of the lake. 15,000 families in Palm Beach County alone were homeless. 450 square miles of land were underwater. Dawn on Black Monday revealed a scene of utter desolation. In the whole town of Belle Glade, only six buildings remained on their original foundations. 
between the stricken communities on the lake and West Palm Beach lay 40 miles of trackless wilderness, most of it underwater, clogged with mountains of muck and debris. Those who were lucky enough to survive the storm now had to make sense of the apocalyptic landscape that their towns had turned into. Those left without homes slept in makeshift shelters in schools, churches, and warehouses. Over 3,000 Red Cross volunteers assisted with relief efforts. One of the most horrific details about the cleanup were the bodies. There were just so many people killed in this hurricane. People who had drowned in the flood, whose lifeless bodies had been washed up miles away. It was awful. When the governor of Florida, John Martin, visited the Lake Okeechobee area days after the storm, he reported seeing nearly 30 bodies on the road between Pahokee and Belle Glade either on the roadside or floating in the water near the road. Think about how horrific that is. This is nearly a week after the storm had passed, and there were still bodies in the road. For over a week and a half, bodies were found in ditches and trees, any place the swirling waters might have carried them. Carpenters worked around the clock to build coffins, but the number of bodies was just too great. Even if they had a coffin and a burial, the ground was so saturated with water that some of the coffins were sped back up from the earth. Bodies were loaded into rail cars to be buried in West Palm Beach. Some of the remains were put into a mass grave. People worked around the clock to collect bodies, and it still wasn't enough. As the bodies began to decompose and workers feared disease, the last remains were piled together and set on fire. The news reports began to trickle out, explaining just how bad the aftermath of the storm was. Massive flooding, death, mass graves, truly the stuff of nightmares. But there were some in Florida who weren't happy about those reports going out. Who didn't want descriptions about the aftermath going out in news reports all across the country. And who were those people? Well, it was a lot of real estate developers and trade boards. Basically, people who thought that if the dark, morbid truth about what happened around Lake Okeechobee came out, it would hurt their chances of making more money in the future. For a little context about this, you have to know one thing about Florida in the 1920s. And that is, the state was a hotspot for real estate scams. Real estate scams were exploding in Florida in the 1920s. Investors and buyers were routinely being scammed by groups purporting to sell them a piece of beautiful, sunny paradise. Conmen would hype up this stunning land where winter never comes, a place called Florida. People from around the country would buy land from these conmen, totally believing these tales of a tropical wonderland. But then they'd make their trip down to see this slice of paradise they just paid for, 
and discover that it was actually a swampy, mosquito-infested bog. Far from the visions of an oceanfront getaway. And by then, the conman would be gone. On to the next sucker who wants to buy their ticket to heaven. Property values in Florida skyrocketed. There was a lot of money being made, and a rising tide lifts all boats. So new businesses were popping up, and more and more investors were scrambling to secure their piece of Florida. Businessmen and trade boards in Florida didn't want the news of bodies being strewn across miles and miles of Florida for weeks because they didn't want it to negatively affect their ability to earn money in the future. It might be hard to attract new businesses and eager investors once they read about the pile of human bodies that had to be set on fire because they were decomposing too fast in the Florida sun. So, there was an effort to downplay the aftermath of the hurricane. The Tampa Board of Trade sent a telegraph to the United States Chamber of Commerce saying the news reports of the storm were, quote, greatly exaggerated. And they warned that they would be demanding retractions from the newspapers that wrote exaggerated stories. Peter O. Knight, president of the Tampa Electric Company, called the Okeechobee hurricane situation trivial and minimized the disaster. In response to Peter, Red Cross Chairman Howard Shelby said in a telegraph, Peter, if you serve as a spokesman for the entire state, won't you kindly make a personal visit here? The local Okeechobee News was much less diplomatic. Instead, they just called Peter a jackass. Despite the attempt at downplaying the storm, the news got out about exactly what had happened in the beautiful, always sunny paradise called Florida. In response to the storm, the federal government and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers completed the Herbert Hoover Dike, which was built to stop another catastrophe like the 1928 hurricane from ever happening again. It now encircles almost the entire lake, tall enough to hold back the kind of storm surge that killed so many people so long ago. President-elect Herbert Hoover made a personal tour of the devastated communities of the Okeechobee area today. In a statement to newsmen, he pledged his support of federal legislation to prevent a recurrence of such disasters. In November 1930, the Army Corps of Engineers started work on a new improved levee, later known as the Herbert Hoover Dyke. By 1937, the federal government had expended $16 million on the project. The liquid heart of this area is Lake Okeechobee, the big water, 730 square miles of it the second largest freshwater lake wholly within the United States. This monster had to be controlled by bigger levees and by bigger canals that would give it bigger outlets to the sea. Eventually, towns like Belglade and Pahokee were able to rebuild. But others disappeared with the 1928 hurricane. There was a town called Okilanta south of the lake that was effectively ended by the hurricane. One mile away from Belglade, there was a town called Chosen, founded by a religious group called the Church of the Brethren as a haven for their believers. Most of the town's buildings were swept away when the wall of water from the lake came through. And there was Utopia. After the hurricane crossed over Lake Okeechobee, the surge of water that had flooded south 
reversed and was pushed north. The storm surge north of the lake wasn't as massive as the one in the south. The town of Okeechobee's location more inland, away from the lake, protected it from the worst part of the flood. But Utopia's location, right next to the lake, put it in the worst possible spot. The flood destroyed a lot of the infrastructure, sweeping away buildings, killing and drowning the people in Utopia. The storm also disrupted the fishing industry in the lake, which was Utopia's main source of income. The hurricane of 1928 essentially sealed the fate of Utopia. It was never going to survive that storm. Utopia was removed as a census-designated place in 1930 by the federal government. And the town does not appear on the U.S. Department of the Interior's 1932 Geological Survey map. It's simply gone. Like it never existed. Utopia's founder, Clifford Clements, survived the hurricane, but died just a few short years later in 1939. He's now buried in Pinellas County, over 150 miles away from the ghost town of Utopia. The ghosts from the 1928 disaster would haunt South Florida for decades. Even years and years later, farmers would report finding the skeletons of the hurricane victims in their fields. Utopia is now nothing more than a nondescript piece of empty land near the lake. People drive by it every day completely unaware of the lives and memories that land once held. Have you ever had something strange or unexplainable happen to you? Email me at trueokipodcast at gmail.com and let me know. Your experience could be part of next year's Halloween episode.